0: If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go to John chapter 1 with me this morning. <clears throat> John chapter 1, we're getting back into the series that I started at the latter part of 2016. Walking systematically through the Gospel of John, and the title of this preaching series is called Conversations with Christ of the, tw- of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John records more conversation between people, men and women, with Jesus than anybody else. More of the words of Jesus interacting with other human beings are on display in the Gospel of John than anywhere. And this morning we're at John chapter 1, verses 19 to 28, and in these conversations with Christ, John is building his case, is going to show us now or tell us about John the Baptist, and I've called him the great reflector the great reflector. And I don't know if you've heard this saying before. I grew up hearing this, but what you do reflects who you are. What you do reflects who you are. And again, as a child, I heard my parents would say to me, my grandparents would say to me, your actions reflect on us. When I would leave the house and or get dropped off at the mall or dad would let me go to a movie or I went down to Barring Park or something like that. The last words mom or dad would say, now, listen, What you do reflects back on us, and that was their way of saying, behave yourself because you're a reflector. People know who you are. You know in the world we live in with social media today, companies will hold you accountable for your social media presence. What you say, what you tweet, what you post, all these things. And the reason they do it is because companies say your words or actions, if people know where you work, is a reflection on the company. And the truth is, every one of us all live lives that reflect. Every one of us. So think in your minds. You don't have to answer this out loud, but who is Justin Trudeau? By hand, do you know who I'm talking about when I say Justin Trudeau? Just making sure you all live in the country of Canada. He is your prime minister, okay? What about Donald Trump? <laughs> Funny how that got more of a reaction. I heard like, mm, ooh, ah, ah, you know, all these things. What about Sidney Crosby? There you go. Somebody knows who that is. For those of us in Newfoundland, who is Joey Smallwood, right? That provokes a response out of people. Now, you know who these people are, and they stand out. Sometimes they stand out because of their position, sometimes because of what they stood for or what they said or what they accomplished or what they're trying to accomplish. And every one of them has both those who praise them and those who are detractors of them. Every one of them. But they all reflect something. And in John chapter 1, verses 19 to 28, we look at John the Baptist. And he was a reflector of Christ. In fact, Jesus says some of the most amazing stuff about this man. He, wasn't a, he was a witness. He was an ambassador. He was a herald for Jesus. And as we'll see, he was by simply being who God called him to be. This was what God called him to be, a witness, a reflector. And this passage... And what I want to do this morning makes much of Jesus and shows us how and why we can make much and should make much of Jesus too. Now, some would say this helps us understand being a witness. And you'll see ultimately the best witness is simply having a testimony. Just watch your testimony. I want you to think through that. Remember the video we just watched? Telling the story of Jesus over and over and over again. And all involved in telling others about Jesus is not having a system. I don't want anybody to think I'm going to give you five steps to share Jesus. I'm not, I'm not into it. I'm just going to be fully up, up front with you. It's not about being a great theologian or a great apologist. At the end of the day, you're going to find that in your Bible and in history, the greatest witnesses, reflectors of Jesus were people that simply lived their life saying, I, I know Him And I'd love to share him with you. And they leave the results up to him. Now, how often, let's get real. How often do we talk about our cars or our home that we're building or that we've bought or our renovations? How often as football season comes to a close and hockey season revs up? Do we talk about our sports teams, our politicians? our favorite restaurant or food. I went to the keg last night. Talk to me after. I'll I'll be a great witness for the keg. We do this knowing that many won't understand, right? How often have we talked about vacations we took or hotels we stayed in? And we tell the story with great passion, enthusiasm, and you're looking at people that have probably never been where you've described. But you do it anyway. You talk about something you really enjoyed or something you experienced and you talk about this and you know that some will not know what you're talking about. Some won't care what you're talking about. Some will even disagree or will try to make an argument that they stayed somewhere better. But we still keep talking about it. We still keep sharing these things. And yet, why do we so freely talk about these things and not Jesus? I want you to think about that. Now, maybe for some of you, it's fear. You'd think, you know, Steve, I don't know what I would say. I'm afraid of how someone would react. I don't know, would someone laugh at me or make fun of me? What if somebody told me to shut me down? Well, listen, I drive a Hyundai Sonata. Can I get a witness there, Satish, right? Amen. Me and and Satish drive the two best cars in the parking lot. Black Sonatas, right? Right. And I will say that to you, and some of you guys are already, some of you men are like, poor delusional pastor. But it doesn't stop me. Some of you have even made fun of me for driving a Hyundai. I don't care. I drive one, and I like it a lot. And I'm willing to put up with your reactions to it. Because I've personally experienced it. And this is what you do. I do these things every day. I interact with people. See, for me, the Hyundai I drive is one I drive. I've dealt with the people up at the dealership. I speak from real experience. So no matter what anybody else says, or regardless of how they respond, they really can't change my experience. Or they can tell me, listen, next time you buy a car, get this one. It'll be better. But you know what? I've had a really good experience with Hyundai. And that doesn't compare with my time with God. And yet, why am I so quick to talk about my car and not about my Savior? Because one will drive me around town. The other has saved me for eternity. This is the essence of it. Friends, Jesus is real. He's real. He is God and our human representative for us before God. And if you've met him and if you know him and if you believe in him and you trust him, if you've been forgiven by him, you've been set free from your guilt and shame, then you can't help but talk about him. You just can't help it. And so when people tell me, well, I know Jesus, but I never talk about him, then I'm like, well, man, you don't know him. Because when you know him, you can't help but talk about him. And watch this, all right? Let me read our passage in John chapter 1, verse 19. Look at how this unfolds. And this is, notice this, the testimony of John. This wasn't like, well, here's his, here's his dissertation on Jesusness. This is his testimony. Here's his life. Here it is. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Who are you? Notice this. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they want to know, are you Christ? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. And and so (laughs) I love this. So they said to him, who are you? And they tell him why they're so inquisitive. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Just like the prophet Isaiah said. Now, in parentheses, they had been sent from the Pharisees. And I want you to keep all that because you've got priests and Levites and they were sent and this. And so they asked him, him, sorry, then why are you baptizing? I mean, if you're not the Christ and you're not Elijah and you're not the prophet. And John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know even he who comes after me. Now look at the humility, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And then John tells us these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now I want you to see a couple things as we get into this. First, I want you to remember what John the apostle who wrote this gospel, what he's doing. Remember, John writes this thing, and he actually tells you the purpose for writing at the very end of his book, his biography on Jesus Christ. In John chapter 20, remember, John says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, what I've collected in these 21 chapters, this is written, and here's why, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and here's what happens if you believe that, that by believing you may have life, notice, in His name. That's the purpose for the Gospel of John. That's why he wrote it. And remember what we've looked at for six weeks, we looked at John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18 where John starts this gospel by declaring Jesus is God. He's not just a man, he's God, but Jesus is also fully human. He's fully God and he's fully human. He wants us to know that Jesus from Nazareth is the anointed one. Remember, Matthew starts that he is the anointed one, the Messiah. He's the redeemer, but he's also the creator. Remember, all things are created by him. He's the master. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. But to those who did not believe, because he's also the judge, and he's lastly the justifier. So in verses 1 to 18, John makes his case. So you need to listen now. Jesus is who you need. Jesus is what you need. Friends, Jesus is all you'll ever need. You don't need a system. You don't need a religion. You don't need a denomination. You need Jesus. That's who you need. It's what I need. It's who I need. It's what we all need. Now, if you start from this section, this is beautiful. In chapter 1, verse 19, through chapter 2, verse 11, you're going to find something really fascinating. I love the way my Bible does this and your Bible does this, and this should help you believe that it's true. All the way back in Genesis, Genesis chapter one, God, we're told, created the world in one week, in seven days. And if you really study it in, John, in Genesis chapter one, it's broken into two sets of three. There's the first three days, the second three days, and then the seventh day, there's a day of rest. And when you read John chapter one, 19 through chapter two, 11, you're also introduced to seven days. It's like John wants to show us the gospel, how God created. And you have two three-day periods and then a seventh day. And it culminates on the seventh day with the great miracle at the wedding of Cana where we discover that God is the master of the feast. And so for three days, we read about John the Baptist and his disciples. The next three days, we read about the disciples and Jesus. And then the seventh day is the wedding of Canaan, Cana. And John is excited for us to see that all he talked about in chapter 1, verses 1 to 18 is about to be unleashed and accomplished. Here's the gospel and what it means to be witnesses. So here you go, three points. Not three steps, three points about the passage. All right. Number one, John the Baptist was an actual witness. He wasn't a fictional character. He didn't live in a bubble. He was an actual witness witness. Now, we've already heard about John in verses 1 to 18, in verses 6 to 8, and again in verse 15. We learn about the commission of John. We find about what his objective was, and we read about what his message was. And when we come to verse 19, we find out about his testimony, This is what we're looking at. In 19 19 to 28, it's his testimony that he actually did what he was called to do. He actually spoke what he was commissioned to do. John the Baptist, only six weeks earlier than this, had baptized Jesus. Six weeks earlier, he had baptized Jesus and seen the Holy Spirit come upon him. And so what we see and read here is truly John speaking from his knowledge and his experience. He'd been taught Jesus all of his life. Remember, we just came through the Christmas season in Luke chapter one. Luke had a mirac- or John had a miraculous. He, his birth was miraculously announced to Zechariah's father, right? Who's in the temple. And then his father is older and his wife is older, Elizabeth. And he doesn't think that the, what the angel Gabriel says is true. And so he's struck to be mute and he's mute all through the pregnancy. And he doesn't get the ability to speak back till after John is born. And so John had been taught Jesus his entire life. He had seen Jesus and talked with Him and watched Him. And it affected him. It affected who He was. This coming week, I turn 45. Now relax, because I know I only look 25. I know. But I am going to be 45. And I have found myself asking myself about my life. It was back on Thursday that Debbie and I celebrated being here with you for two years. It was our second anniversary. On January the 13th, suppertime, we rolled into Gale- Gileadis, and you guys all helped me move in, and I watched Satish eat more pizza than I'd ever seen a man eat. But we've been together now for two years. And I couldn't believe how quickly two years just goes by. And I find myself asking, as my children grow up and mature and are starting to anticipate leaving our home, as we're making decisions about our parents, Debbie and I both, as our parents get up in years, how has Jesus really affected my life? Where am I at in all of this? I want you to know pastors have those types of questions. I sit many times and go, what has this all meant to me and for me and to me? And I look at John and and it affected him. He had been taught Jesus. He had seen him and interacted with him. And he dedicated his life to Jesus and for Jesus. And you could say he was born for it. But he was real. He was live. And he was more than just live. He was like Facebook live. I mean, he was what he was. He was an active witness. People noticed him, and, and who wouldn't? If you ate honey and locusts and you walked around with camel hair and a leather girdle, and you shouted everywhere you went, you'd c- gather attention. Let's be honest. I've been downtown, and there's some folks down there that do some things, and you, you, you just have to Stare. In fact, I remember a comedian, uh, Bill Envall, uh, talking about this guy he went in. To, he was trying to get an album for his son. He said the guy behind the counter had, had his ears pierced and his nose pierced and his eyebrows pierced and his lip pierced and he had a thing in his cheek and he had a chain going from his ear to his nose down to his mouth. And he said this was all in his face. And he said, and I, cu- I was looking at him like a dog at a high-pitched sound. And he said, this guy was looking at me like, what are you looking at? And, and Bill said, I wanted to say, what am I looking at? You look like you've been in a fight with a nail gun. Of course I'm going to stare at you, right? John stood out. He just stood out. He, he was noticed. He was a real witness. People noticed him. But you know what? He lived out what he said. He lived out what he talked about. And that got him noticed. And folks, in good ways and bad. And you and I need to realize there is no way to be passionate about something. There's no way for you to believe in something that isn't going to attract attention that's going to gain you both compliments and insults. Or at the very least, curiosity. And even more, like, it's not just in religion. It's biggie. Car, sports, politics, or anything. Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes of the faith, said this. I love Charles for this. Be a nuisance to the world. Be such a man or woman that worldlings will be compelled to feel that there was a Christian in their midst. This is how he saw it. He said, be a witness. One theologian puts it like this. The church, therefore, is a polity like any other, but it is also unlike any other insofar as it is formed by a people who have no reason to fear the truth. They are able to exist in the world without resorting to coercion to maintain their presence. You see, you and I aren't called to force ourselves on people. You and I are called to live out what Christ has done in our lives. Nothing more, nothing less. Your job is not to convince anybody. It's to show people how Christ has convinced you. This is what John the Baptist did. When you analyze John the Baptist, you soon find out he really was a Christian. He didn't act like a Christian. You see, John was what I like to call a noun Christian. Christian was a noun for him, not an adjective John's actions came from a heart response, not from playing games. John believed in who Jesus was. D.A. Carson puts it like this, apart from grace-driven grit effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience, faith, and delight in the Lord. The only way you're going to do that is if you're real. You can't be fake. You can't pretend. Because here's the thing, if you're faking it, People know what you're like when you're not faking it. I think one of the great things that keep me humble as a pastor is having three children. Because if, especially as they've gotten older and they have figured out, they have the power when it comes to who I really am. Because my children know if what I try to show you here is who I really am over in Mount Terrace. But when I am who I am, I got to tell you, man, it's freeing. It really is. I want you to notice as well. Look at the questions John has asked in verse 22. Who are you? And who do you say? What do you say about yourself? In verse 25, why, why do you do what you do? <laughs> now, if you are asked those types of questions, but you act like one, if you are, sorry, if you act like a Christian and you talk like one, wouldn't it make sense that you'd get asked these types of questions? Who are you? Why do you do what you do? Now think about that, because if you're a Christian here this morning, who do you claim to be as a Christian? Who do you claim Jesus to be as a Christian? What we claim to want as Christians what we claim to be like or who we claim to be like as Christians, how we want the world to act as Christians, what we think Jesus will make the world to be as Christians. Think about those things. If I'm a Christian, I'm I'm admitting I'm a sinner and I can't. If if I claim to believe in Jesus, I'm saying he is God. If I treat the world like I want, the Bible teaches me I love my fellow man. I will sacrifice myself. I will put the needs of others ahead of mine. And it doesn't matter how much you are a sinner. It doesn't matter what your label or how you identify yourself. My goal, my mission, my desire, yours should be to love people and point them to Christ by showing Christ in us. This is our calling. This is our commission. This is our message. We simply are to tell the world, Jesus is real. But to put another way, while we are not perfect, we believe we will be made perfect. How and why? By Jesus Christ. You see, before I was in ministry, I worked for Winners. I was a training and support manager for that company in I used to get called in to do the the little thing. Walmart made this famous and winners took it up. They get all the staff together before they open. They have like their little pep rallies. And uh, some of them are really cheesy. Because sometimes we go, W is for winners. We are winners. And all that stuff, you know, just just fun stuff. But we kind of go over the day and we talk about things. Well, we had the vice president of the company making a surprise visit to our store one time. And I was feeling the stress of the vice president and all of his little minions coming to evaluate everything we did. And I was really driving my staff. And we had an unexpected delivery, and we were busier than normal, and so everything was happening. And I was pretty short-tempered. My standards were sky high, and my stress was being transferred and stressing out all the staff. Plus, they all knew I was a Christian. They all knew what church I attended. They all knew I sang in the choir and taught Sunday school and even preached from time to time. They all knew that. And here I was, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and stop doing this, and why aren't you working faster, and all this kind of stuff. And I realized at about 11 o'clock that night what a complete beanbag I had been all day. And so we went to work the next morning, we had our little pep rally. And I had about 30 of the staff there, and I gathered them up, and I said, folks, listen, before we even start, I just need you to know how sorry I am. Because I'm stressed, I stressed all of you out. I was short-tempered and patient. My expectations were unrealistic. And I said, you know, I went home last night. Before I went to bed, I read my Bible, and I was just talking with the Lord, and it just really convicted me. And I just, before I even start today, I just want to ask for you guys to forgive me, and I hope we'll have a much better day today. You see, being a Christian didn't mean I had to be perfect. Being a Christian meant I had to show people who is perfect. And I have to tell you, I tell you that story, and I remember it because from that, I had more opportunities to tell other people about Jesus than anything I'd ever done. By admitting I had been a putz, God opened more doors for me to share about Jesus than all of my talking about. I'm going to church tonight, and I'm going to youth group tonight, and I'm going to sing tonight and come to this. They really weren't impressed with all of that. What got their attention was a guy just saying, I'm an idiot, but my Savior isn't. And this was what John the Baptist was. He, he was able to do this. This was what John did. Notice he confesses. I love that word. He said he confessed. I'm not the guy. I'm not Christ. Don't be impressed by my life or my following or my background. See Jesus. And you'll notice that all the religious establishment is here. The Jews in our passage is simply John telling his audience that his encounter was Jewish in nature. There were priests and Levites. In verse 24, we learn that they were sent from the Pharisees. This was a far reaching group who were coming to John for various reasons and motives, but John kept reflecting Jesus, being a witness for him, but he was a certain type of witness. Notice, secondly, John was a humble witness. He was a humble witness. You see, if you read about John the Baptist, he was popular. People came from all over Judea to hear him preach. Many of them, hundreds if not thousands, were confessing their sin and they were being baptized by him and he was well known and he was notorious and famous all at the same time. He had a following. Folks trusted him. They went out to hear him preach and teach. Many responded. Others were fascinated. Some were resentful. Many rejected. Some were curious and some were straight up opposing. Tim Keller may well have summed up who John was and what we should all strive to be a loving example of Christ when he says, Love is counting someone else's needs and interests as more important than your own needs or interests. Now, Steve, if you got that on the screen, keep it up there for a bit. Love is counting someone else's needs and interests as more important than your own needs or interests. And if you're listening to that going. I hope somebody next to me is he- hearing that. Then you just missed it. Love. Is when you. Count somebody else's needs and interests. As more important than your own needs or interests. You see this is played out in how John denies things. He denies being Jesus. Jesus. He denies being Elijah. And it was natural. Because in Malachi, and if you're Italian, Malachi, chapter 4, verse 5, this is what the prophet Malachi says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So they come and say, you look like him and you talk like him. And he says, I'm not him. And then he says, well, are you, are you the prophet? And again, that's why you need to realize it's the Jews, it's the priests, it's the Levites. They're coming from the Pharisees because they know all this Jewish background stuff. And so they ask him, are you Christ? No, I'm not the Messiah. Are you Elijah? No, not the guy. Are you the prophet? And they know now. They're talking about Moses in Deuteronomy 18, 15, when Moses writes, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And so the people are asking, Who are you? But after all these denials, <laughs> are you Christ? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Doesn't it make sense then in verse 22 that they say, Well, then who are you? Okay, I, enough. Then who are you? And I love this. <laughs> John says, Okay, you ready? Here's who I am a voice. Here's my business card, a voice. There's how he represents himself. I'm a voice. And listen, now think that through. Is there anything greater and more powerful and more humble and more gentle than I'm just a sinner saved by grace? He just wants to tell you about the one who saved me. I'm a voice, I'm a witness. I'm nothing more and I'm nothing less. I'm simply telling you what I know. As the old song says, love lifted me. But look at how he elaborates. He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. And then he quotes Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 40. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now, I need you to understand what this is. Meryl Tenney, the great commentator, says this. The imagery was taken from the days when there were no paved roads. There were only tracks across the fields. That's all they had. And if a king were to travel, the road must be built and smoothed out so that the royal chariot might not find the traveling unduly rough, nor that it would be swamped so they'd be caught in it. So John claimed to be he who was to make the road for a greater personage who was to represent God. He basically says, listen, again, think about our video, right? How many times? 10, 20, 40 He says, you and I are called to make the way ready. We're called to plant and water, to be salt and light, to witness, to cut down obstacles, to stand out there and say, we fight Satan's lies with truth. We expose the temptations of the world. We point out the error of our own hearts and tell the world, see Jesus. That's our calling. It's to be a voice. John's testimony was about Jesus, not himself. The hero of John's testimony was Jesus. Look at verses 26 and 27. Look at what he says in our passage. John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. You talk about humility. You see, John made much of Jesus. He says, you ask me if I'm Elijah? I'm not. You ask me if I'm the prophet? Nope, I'm not good enough. You ask me if I'm the Christ? The Christ. I'm not even worthy to do to him what the lowest of slaves can do. I love this. Kent Hughes says, he was not the substance, but just the communicator. He wasn't the substance. He was just the communicator. And borrowing from the imagery of the Old Testament, he says, I'm merely a workman making a road for the Messiah. (laughs) And yet, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus would say that amongst those born of women, there was none greater than John the Baptist. And yet, John is so humble. <laughs> Don't ever forget, James explains why Jesus would say this when he writes about humility in James chapter 4, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You see, John didn't need to make much of himself. He made much of Christ. Christ made much of John. Christ did. Now, to know understand humility, you got to at least ask the question, what is humility? What does it mean to be humble? Remember, in the sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the meek. And this is a problem in our culture in 2017 for both men and women because when we imagine someone being humble or we imagine someone being meek we don't think strength we think weakness and it's hard for us when I say John the Baptist was a humble meek man when you consider what he did and how rugged he was and all the things but listen it's completely true because humility is simply deference to the proper authority Humility is owning the reality of your own truth. Meekness is the right use of authority. It's knowing your place. John could have an A-type personality, be an extrovert. He could be a guy who was excited and a guy who spoke, but his he, he was excited about Christ, not himself. And he could have been. His birth was miraculous. His parents are popular. He could have bragged about his lifestyle. He took a Nazarite vow. He could have bragged about his success or his popularity. But John wholeheartedly said no. In John chapter 3, he would say, he must increase and I must decrease. One commentator says, when we see afresh our primary identity in Christ, it's as if we've been born into new and fertile terrain. You see, we can continue to act justly and love mercy. Affirming lives from both the womb to the tomb. We proclaim the kingdom to the outcast, to the unjustly accused, the powerless in our cities and rural areas. We are Christians who talk about to any person or to any issue or system, crying out for Christ's understanding of human flourishing. Yet we do so now more acutely conscious of the rest of this passage. Walk humbly with our God. Because we don't have to demand we just say look at jesus and then finally john was a real witness john was a humble witness but john was a christ witness you see this all through 19 to 28 see being a witness was more than just reporting facts see john w- john had bought in he was a witness in support of he believed in jesus he believed who he was what he said and what we need to do about it notice what the passage says Kim Riddleberger says it best, and John the Baptist believed it. He said, a minister's job is not to fix all the problems the parishioner is having. The minister's job is to point them to Christ. My heartbeat is that every one of you in this church know that I am not the answer to your questions or your problems. In fact, if you believe in me, you are of all men and women to be most pitied. My calling is to say, see Jesus. See Jesus in me. See him in everything you see him in. John believed in who Jesus was and what he said. He trusted Christ, he depended on the gospel. Again, Tim Keller puts it almost all our problems stem from the fact that we don't really functionally believe and grasp and understand and live out the basics. John didn't present himself, John didn't worry about the results, John didn't do personality studies. He just said, Here's Jesus. Michael Horton, the great theologian, says Our Buddhist cousins, our Muslim neighbors, and our burned out churchgoers need to encounter disciples of Christ who point away from themselves. That's what our culture needs. Jesus was a witness for Christ, he was a Christ witness. Is it any wonder that Paul would say in Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty two into five one, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you? So therefore, because of that, be imitators of God. Remember, John the Baptist was a reflector of Christ. He mimicked who he believed in. Paul says, if you are kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving the other, what's your motivation? As God in Christ forgave you, if you've experienced Jesus, if you know him, you know what it is to be forgiven, then you can't help but be imitators of him as beloved children. And you all know that if you're a parent, you know that the greatest imitators are kids. My wife has warned me this all through my driving as every one of my children got into the thing and every time I would go beyond the speed limit, my wife would grab my thigh and squeeze ever so gently and go, the person behind you will be doing this in a year because they imitate you. And we're called to be imitators of God as beloved children. What are we supposed to imitate? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, John the Baptist didn't need a t-shirt. I am a Christian. He didn't wear a big honking cross. Even though his clothes were gnarly, John's life verse wasn't a Facebook status or a tweet. It literally was, see my Savior. Look at my life and see my Savior. Which, of course, begs the question as I finish this morning, Will you reflect Christ in 2017? Will you do it? Do you know Jesus? Have you met him? Do you honestly know him? John didn't just witness by loving everyone and not telling them the truth, by the way. John told the truth about himself, about the entire situation of life. He told people the truth because he loved them, whether it was our family, whether it's friends, whether it's the church. And so here it is. You want the sermon to take home with you? Here it is. Will you and I be a living witness this year? Will you and I be a living witness this year? Will you and I be a humble witness this week? Will you and I be a Jesus witness today? 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And church, do you know why that's the safest way to witness? Because if you set yourself on a pedestal, what happens when you fail? Great is the fall, isn't it? And how many other fall with you? But if you put Jesus on the pedestal, When you succeed, all you can say is, thank you, Jesus. And when you fail, you can boldly and louder say, thank you, Jesus. Let me give you this as an illustration, then I'm done. One evening, the great conductor Arturo Tosciani conducted Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. It is considered one of the best that was ever done. It was a brilliant performance. At the end of which the audience went absolutely wild. They clapped and whistled. They stamped their feet. They were absolutely caught up in the greatness of the performance. You read in history about Toscanini. He stood there and he bowed and bowed and bowed. He acknowledged his orchestra. And when the ovation finally began to subside after what people say could have been upwards to a 13-minute standing ovation, he whispered to his orchestra, gentlemen, ladies, gentlemen. And the orchestra leaned forward to listen. And in a fiercely enunciated whisper, Tosciani said, gentlemen, I am nothing. And if you know anything about history in Tosciani, it is a wonder he said that because he was blessed with an enormous ego. But he also added, Gentlemen, ladies, you are nothing. And then he said, But Beethoven, Beethoven is everything, everything, everything. Calvary, listen. You are nothing, but Jesus is everything, everything, everything. Will you reflect him? One word of warning. Big conference happened two weeks ago, Passion 2017. Beth Moore was there. I saw a lot of chatter on Twitter and all these things. It was about a comment she made. Here's what she said. You will watch a generation of Christians, of Christians, set the Bible aside in an attempt to become more like Jesus. And stunningly, it will sound completely plausible. This will be perhaps the cleverest of all of the devil's schemes in your generation. Sacrifice truth for love's sake. And you will rise or fall based on whether you will sacrifice one for the other. Will you have the courage to live in the tension of both truth and love? To be a real witness and a humble witness and a Christ witness, you have to be willing to love each other enough to tell each other the truth. John the Baptist is a wonderful example of being a reflector of Christ to tell the truth and be loving. And I finish with this quote. K.A. Ellis in Christianity Today in this past week said Christians are most powerful not when they're countercultural, but when we're other cultural, not apolitical, but other political. Our power lies in engaging the culture truthfully and lovingly on Christ's terms. Refusing assimilation for acceptance' sake. Historically, the true church values faithfulness over dominance and consequences be damned. You see, John the Baptist didn't worry about results. He just was a witness. His whole life was, I am nothing. I am nothing. You are nothing. But Jesus is everything, everything, everything. And so, do you know Him? Have you experienced Him? Confess your sins. Admit you need Him. Admit you don't deserve Him. Admit you can't fix yourself. And then rest by responding because Jesus came to save in you and me. And it is truly, listen to me, and you all need to turn into Mary Benedict right now. It really is in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to share about you. And Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning who has realized, maybe through the red word, through the word sung in song, Lord, as our music team comes and we sing in Christ alone, I pray that if you have shown someone that they've been acting or pretending, oh, that you'd give them the safety to come talk to me or a friend and just say, I need Jesus. I pray for my brothers and sisters here at Calvary Baptist as we pursue holiness. And this year, Lord, we need to. If we're going to embark on raising money and building stuff and having 100 plus people of different backgrounds and ages and gender and outlook, and we're all going to get along for the glory of Christ, we need to be holy by Jesus. And Lord, the best way to do that is to reflect you. It's to be a real witness and a humble witness, to be a Jesus witness. So truly may this be our calling, our commission. And Lord, may my friends, may I go out here this afternoon, this week, and just say, here's my testimony in Christ alone. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.